You are now listening to the Purpose Edits Podcast. You've got to be willing to be vulnerable. You have to have the ability to self-assess, and not everybody has the ability to self-assess. You don't necessarily have to like sweets to be successful in school. You just have to know how to play the game and finesse it and get through it. Welcome to the Perfect Status Podcast. This is a short yet powerful conversation designed to help you do three things that can ultimately change the trajectory of your life. One, discover your purpose. Two, walk in your purpose. And three, ultimately fulfill your purpose. I am your host, Coach Vic, and I'm joined as always by my lifelong friend, my brother, the educator, Dr. Shane Calhoun. Shane, what up, homie? How you holding up? Living a dream, brother. How are you? Man, it's a great day. It's a great day because at, at this moment in time, I don't know when this is going to air, man. A lot has changed in the country, man. President 46 has been elected, right? I'm excited about that. I'm not going to hide that fact, especially with everything that we dealt with in 2020. Yeah, very, very excited. I'm still looking over my shoulder thinking that somehow uh, this guy's going to find a way to get back in there. But as of today, we partying. Nah, I bumped that. I don't care about none of the claims, none of that that mess that he he claiming about number of votes he should have had. The margin of victory is just way too big. So I ain't yeah. worried about that, man. We we spent too much time playing, uh, being cautious. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, just, yeah. Let's live truth. it up. Let's have a good time, man. That's truth, man. It's great to see the uh, people is out here celebrating. It almost feels like not quite the same, but almost close to when Obama was elected, man. Just the amount of yeah. celebrations and everything going on in the street, man. It's, it's, it's like great to see. It feels like something's yeah. been lifted. Yeah. You know, I tell you, uh, today's guest, uh, who we have on is, is an individual who's probably, uh, one of those major celebrators in the city, just based on what I've seen <laughs> and heard from him around this election. I can't wait to 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 let him loose on the show and, and give his thoughts. Um, in, in that, let me let me go ahead and, and introduce who we're talking to. So, uh, my my, I like to consider him a friend. He's a neighbor, a uh, guy that I met who, when I moved into the neighborhood, uh, there was just a group of men in my neighborhood who embraced who embraced me and other men in the community. Um, and what I appreciated most about this group is they don't just talk trash about football, although that's a lot of what they do. Um, <laughs> but they also uplift one another. They also help each other out. They also support one another. Um, and so I've always appreciated that in being a part of the group. Um, Sayon Bell is a retired detective from the narcotics division of Tampa Police Department. He spent 25 years there, right? So we're talking to uh, a, a, a gentleman who's seen the community grow, who's seen it change and evolve, and he's been directly a part of helping to police that. He uh, was a member of the Marine Corps, and he will probably tell you his claim to fame is his ability to cook both in the <laughs> kitchen and on the grill. Uh, more importantly, I want to welcome a good friend of mine, Sayon Bell. Welcome to the show, my friend. How you holding up? I'm good. I'm good, man. I appreciate you guys, man. Yeah, yeah absolutely, man. Absolutely. I know I've been wanting to get you on the show for a minute now. We had to find the right time and get through our schedule that we already had. But I think the timing worked out perfect for for what's happening in the world, especially when we get into your background and dive in there. Uh, How you no feel problem. about what's it's, going on? Hey, man, there's no better time, brother. There's no better time. I'm, I'm loving the day. I'm loving the day. I'm loving America right now. 
I'm loving, I'm loving my people. I'm talking about my people with, I'm talking about Americans, black, white, Hispanic. Mm. I'm talking about all of them, man. Chinese mm. Americans. I'm talking about Indian Americans. I'm just talking about Americans, man. I'm, I'm loving this today, bro. It's yeah. a great way to put it. Yeah, because that's that was the whole concept, right? It was supposed to be united no matter what color, right? This is the land of the free, and free says inclusive. Free don't have a color next to it, right? Absolutely we not. Just, we just, the structure, the, the man has corrupted it. And when I say the man, meaning anybody who has caused yep. the vision and decided that, you know, it don't need to be a collective body, but we all live under the same adage. It takes a village to raise a child. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm glad. I'm glad we could come together. Before we jump into today's topic, Shane, you always take us down that familiar path. What blew your mind this week? Um, it was actually a conversation we had earlier, and and this one's a lot just straight put. In order to get to the next level, and I might have said this before in the podcast. But in order to get to the next level, in order to accomplish new things, in order to move out of a space, you have to change the way you think, the way you eat, and the people around you. You just have to change everything around you. It's like, I can't say that I want to go to the NFL, but I ain't never been on the football team. Or I want to go to the league and I don't go out there and shoot a thousand jump shots a day. I think sometimes people's dreams and goals do not line up with their actions. And, and, and purpose requires actions. Going to the next level requires action. Action. Going to the next level requires action. So I think that's just the, the spirit that I'm in that, you know, as we're going through these changes and people starting businesses and doing this and this and this and this, it just all goes back to being about that action and being, being willing to change if what you've been doing isn't working. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Bill, what are your thoughts on that concept? Uh, how, what is required in order for a, per, a person to find their purpose? What are your thoughts on that? I, I agree with Shane, man. You gotta, you gotta be able to, uh, to accept change and, and you gotta, you gotta be able to change within yourself in order to, uh, in order to, to advance in life. You can't, you can't, you know, think somebody's holding you down all the time, man. It's not all about somebody holding you down. It's, it's, it's what can you do for yourself? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's not what, what can anybody do for you is what can you do for yourself? And you got to start right there. Once you mm -hmm. once you get to that point and you realize that hey I can do this for myself and I can I can advance you know and and not think that somebody's holding me down then you you make it in life. Absolutely agree, absolutely. And I would imagine you know in your career up to this point, um, and that's probably a good segue. I I love for you to share your journey up to this point, and, and I'm pretty sure it's probably going to highlight some of those changes you had to make. So give us a rundown. How did you how did you come to become uh, a detective even let alone get into law enforcement well you know like uh i started uh started out in the marine corps at the age of 17 uh straight out of high school went to the marine corps uh they had the uh the first gulf war and uh man i, I never thought about being the police to be honest which i grew up in east tampa um in the projects um and then, you know like i said they, they, after the gulf war started we had some reservists to come to our unit i was stationed at camp june in north carolina and uh, one of the reservists, man, he was a he was an officer. He was a, actually a state trooper in Virginia. And I just thought this man, this was so, you know, intriguing to me that this guy was a Marine, but
but he, yet he had a, a full-time job as a police officer. And, you know, I, at the time, I really knew nothing about the reserves until they got deployed to our unit. But this guy, man, you know, he, he you know, I talked talk with him and, you know, he was telling me he was a police, he was an uh, African-American guy. And, um, you know, right before I went to Japan, um, which was like the next year I spent three years at Camp Lejeune, I was supposed to be going to, uh, to Japan, which is my last duty station. And uh, I knew I would be getting out in about a year, man. And, you know, I, I decided I'd apply with, with the police department once I, you know, went to, went, came home on leave uh, right before I went to Japan. They had a hiring freeze. But anyway, um, so I get out and, you know, I kind of still had it on my mind about being a police officer. And my cousin, who I, we grew up in the same hood, he, he was a police officer. And uh, so one day, man, I was, I was living in the projects with my, with my wife. He was my wife now. She was my girlfriend back then. But I'm living in the projects with her, man. And he, he drives up in a police car. And I was just hanging outside on the porch. And he said, hey, man, you know, uh, TPD is hiring. And uh, he said, you need to go fill out an application. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, kind of, it's, kind of, it's kind of a funny story, man. But I, I, love, I love sharing this story because, you know, I think God put me in this place. Mm-hmm. So... I, uh, I apply and I'm working in the warehouse and uh, the day that I'm supposed to go take the physical fitness test, I sprained a tendon uh, in the bottom of my foot in training because I was still in the reserves. So I get there and I show up, man, there's like a hundred applicants. And I, I tell the lady, say, hey, I can't do the physical fitness test like a mile run. Of course, I was in shape. I could have did that with a breeze, man. But, you know, since I sprained my foot, I couldn't do it. And the lady said, well, we won't be testing again until next year. It was like September. So I'm mm-hmm. like, man, I'm out of it. That just put me out. So um, I didn't worry about it no more. And I'm working in a warehouse, man. I get a call and they tell me to come in for an interview. And, you know, long story short, man, I get hired without taking that physical fitness test at all. Wow. At all. And everybody, everybody needed to take that test, man. And it was, uh, there was 400 applicants. And it was only 19 positions, and they picked me out of that without taking that physical fitness test, man. So I what, feel, you know, God, God put me there, man. Was it? I mean, besides God, of course. What do you think? Did it? Did that have to do maybe with your, your, your Marine experience, or did they just? Yeah, to be honest with you, that class was supposed to be majority minority, and uh... I don't think that I don't think that there was enough, or what they thought was enough qualified applicants or you know african-american applicants so mm. you know i was one of those ones that had a, a squeaky clean record and uh you know that was in a, i was in a uh, marine corps reserve and you know they i guess you know they love military and i didn't yeah. have any i didn't have any i only had that high, high school education at the time that's all they required and like a, a a year after i got hired they started where you had to have a two-year degree wow yeah. Man, if God can be for you, who can yeah. be against you? I know that's right. right. Yes, sir. You, yes, sir. You had Stop. to have some enemies of people who say, I took that test and you yeah. didn't have to. Yeah. Stars was aligned, man. It was, it, it was the stars was aligned for me, man. And, you know, I got blessed, man. Got you know, blessed. And, and we're, this will be, this will probably allow us to get into, you know, a little bit deeper in today's topic. But I know that Shane and I, um, when we grew up, we had a perception of the police, like in many communities, like in many hoods, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. What was the perception of the police when you were growing up before you became an officer? 
Oh, man, I was like probably like the 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 average black American, man. You know, my brothers, I had one of my brothers, man, Lord rest of dead. He ended up getting killed back in 89 by his girlfriend. But, you know, he was like one of the biggest dope dealers in Tampa, man. I used to watch him cut up crack in the uh, in the backyard and you know i had another brother same thing man you know dr uh, selling drugs and stuff like that and i grew up, up around you know family that that were uh you know uh crackheads and stuff like that my uncles you know all just a, like i said a regular average black american that grew up in a in a you know poverty stricken neighborhood man mm -hmm. so you know the police to me you know i never really came in contact personally with the police growing up but you know, I just, I never, I don't know, man. I never looked at them as, as like, I always looked at them as when they come, you're going to jail. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But never, never no disrespect towards them, man. I never had disrespect. I never had like ill feelings towards them, but I just knew, I knew the authority and I knew that once they came, you was going to jail. I think the feeling is that the police isn't for us. Right. If especially if you never I mean, even if you've never had runnings with the police and, you know, some will blame it on the media, some will. But it's just the the experiences that you see and the things that grown in poverty stricken neighborhoods and what you're exposed to and sometimes how you're treated. You don't, right. you don't necessarily view the police as a uh, an ally. Right. You right. know, and it's, it's one of those weird things where you wish you could see them differently, but. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't know. It's weird. Tell, tell us, like, you know, being an officer, there's got to be challenges policing the community you serve. And I would imagine that there are challenges being a black police officer. Can you talk about that? Absolutely, man. My first day, my first day, um, I was in the uh, training program. And, you know, you get he get paired up with a with a training officer and you know he was a he was a white officer and we you know we pulled up in the um projects in in south tampa and uh he said hey we got to write parking tickets because these cars are parked illegally so this is my very first day fellas i put my step uh, open the door because i was driving i opened the door i put my left foot out on the ground and, <laughs> and before i get out the car this dude black dude on the porch he said uncle tom Oh, Uncle Tom, can I, can I, can I use profanity? Or, uh, yeah, go yeah, for it. Yeah, let it go. So, so he's, he said, Uncle Tom ass nigga. So I'm, I'm looking around like, you know, <laughs> where's the noise coming from? And I look across the street and, you know, he's talking to me. Uncle Tom ass nigga. I'm 23 years old, bro. I'm 23 years old, fresh out of the academy, first day on the job. All my life been around black people besides, the, you know, besides the military. Grew up in the hood. And for him to call me an Uncle Tom, man, it was like, it was, I thought it was funny because I, I never, <laughs> <laughs> I've never been called an Uncle Tom in my life, man. You know, I, I've, I've, I've heard, I've, you know, seen other people that I thought were maybe Uncle Toms, but man, for him to call me Uncle Tom, man, I just, I thought it was hilarious, man. So, you, hadn't you know, stepped out of the vehicle. I, I didn't even step out yet. <laughs> I hadn't even had the chance. I just put one foot out, man. And I never forget that day, man. You know, after when 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 that happened, I'm like, man, this is this is what I'm gonna have to go through, you know. And it was it was sort of a culture shock, you know, because this this was coming from my own people. Mm. And uh, you know, throughout my throughout my career, you know, I I 
I was still called, you know, cracker this and, you know, and, and it was white people think that that word is a racial term for white people, which, you know, it can't be used. But when you're a police, it's used for no matter what color you are. Yeah, that's just the name that they use for, you know, the police. So, I, you know, I've been called that, man. You know, just being black in law enforcement, you see you see uh you see how your people act towards you but yet and still you try you try to you try to treat them with respect you try to treat them uh um fairly you try to you still try to counsel you know mm. and, and then you and then you fight internally um for them on the inside you know because you don't want to see it's just like having a have a, a, a younger brother man you know or a family member at all you can talk bad about your brother Right, yeah, but nobody else can talk bad about you. Let, yeah, you, nobody else better not. And that's yeah. how that's how I felt in my career. I can talk about my people, but when the, when one of the white officers say something, man, I'm I'm on it. And you know, I we had I had a lot of not really arguments, but a lot of straightening. I can tell you that a lot of straightening with with uh with white officers that I how, worked with. How do you balance being brown and blue, bro? You know, for black officers, I think is for majority black, and I ain't gonna say all of them, because you got a couple of them that that don't don't really realize how black they are until they get in trouble. But oh, you know, <laughs> I think that <laughs> I think that I think that you know being black, a black law enforcement officer is easier than a white law enforcement officer because you you can see both sides of the fence. But uh. at the same time, at the same time, it's it's the most hardest thing because. You're getting ridiculed by your own people, and you, you're trying to fight. It's like a tug of war, man. You're fighting. You're fighting internally, and, and you're fighting on the outside, and you're fighting. You're fighting for them, and you're fighting against them. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. Mm. So, was there a level? Was there ever a point in your career where you lost faith in the community that was fighting against you? Nah, I don't think I ever lost faith. But you know, there was a there was a lot of times where I, I just sat back like, man, why? You know, yeah. why do we why do we act that way? You know what I mean? Why do we have to why do we have to act that way? You know, mm-hmm. but not 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 really losing faith, but I, we all do, we all do it. You know, when you see when you see somebody acting out, you see something that you don't like with with, with, with our people, man. You you just sit back, you're like, man, come on. Really? Discouraged. Yeah. 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 You get you do get discouraged, man. But you know, I Man, I always find myself anybody I arrest, I always find myself trying to talk to them, you know, trying to trying to counsel. And I'm I'm not I'm not a counselor at all, man. But you know, it just just it comes it comes with with I guess it comes with my my own character. You know mm. what I mean? So what was it like on the other side? Like we, I I understand when you're saying like you you see our people and you want to help and you see the the behavior of some. What was the perception of black people within the ranks of the police officers? Was it a negative view or was it we got to help these people? What was it on the inside looking out? Well, for the majority, for the, for the most part, I, I, I've uh, worked with a, a lot of people that kind of felt the same way I did. You know what I mean? Okay. But you do you do have those those ones that, you know, they 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 look down upon, you know, the community. You know when they when they do you know just act a fool as you would you would call it, but you know like I said you you kind of 
you kind of just sit back, man, and you, you know, you, I guess you, you just, you just be you, you be yeah. you and, and, and you just, you know, whatever situation that you run into with, 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 a, with an individual, then you kind of, you know, for me, I kind of, I kind of tried to handle it, um, uh, on, in, on an individual uh, case. I say, you know, I, I, I come into you, I, you know, I come into you, bump into you and, you know, um, for, for some reason or another, and, you know, you may have had uh, a confrontation. Matter of fact, let me skip that. Let me, let me back up. There's, there's a lot of times where you get out there in the hood and, you know, when you get in the black community and the police is out there, everybody gonna come outside. Mm. Right. So you always get one person who's going to incite everybody, this yeah. one loud mouth. And the, the, the worst thing that you can do as a friend is try and pull that dude back. Cause now you're making it look like he's trying to, he's trying to be aggressive and come after the police. Mm. So this is what I hated. I hated when people did that. So if a guy was sitting up there yelling, you know, and then the friend was trying to pull him back, I say, hey, no, nah, let him talk. Let him talk. You know, he's just talking. I let him scream and yell. Then I say, hey, man, let's walk with me. And I explain to you why I'm doing what I'm doing. And a lot of times they'll do it, man. I walk them right down the street, you know, a couple steps or whatever, maybe 20 yards. And we have a conversation and I mm. talk to him. And, I, you know, he, he still might be yelling and screaming, but that's how we talk as black people. I, I was never, I never felt threatened. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let him you talk. understood Let him the, culturally. You understood what yeah, was going yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. Let him yell and scream, bro. That's that's how we that's how we do as black people. And they would yell and scream, man. Let, I let them get it out. Talk to them. And next thing you know, we coming back laughing in the crowd with the crowd. You know. When you uh, knowing what you know, seeing what you've seen, and this might be kind of a blanket question, but I'm interested to hear your, your point of view. When you see like what happened to. Uh, George Floyd or the gentleman in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. What what is your immediate reaction and thought? So my immediate reaction is I try I look at it and I try I try to look at the whole case. I try to look at you know first of all I don't I'm not going to give the cop the benefit of the doubt because I don't know him. Mm -hmm. And at the same time I'm not going to give the the you know the guy in the case of George George Floyd. I didn't give him the, you know, it was, it was, it was no, no reason to give him the benefit of the doubt because I saw the video. So in that instance, man, I just, I just thought it was dead wrong. I'm like, man, this, this cop had every opportunity to just put this guy in the car. Why couldn't he just get off of him and put him in the car? That was my whole, my whole, my whole thinking right then when I saw that video, man, you don't have to, I didn't, I still don't see the purpose of him staying there the whole time with his with the, with the knee on this guy's neck mm. all you had to do if he's even if he's combative you got handcuffs on him. you can man you can pick him up this this there, there was multiple officers that could have picked him up and if you had to throw him in the car you just throw him in the car close the door if he's gonna kick and scream let him kick the window out it's not your it's not your property that's city property so you know my initial thought on on george floyd was just it was just dead wrong man it was dead wrong. I, I wanted to ask this specific question because I believe there has to be in the training tactics and strategies to de-escalate a situation. Would you mind sharing the training that you all receive to de-escalate a situation before it gets to what we are seeing on video? 
Yeah, so within the department, um, with, with TPD, I can't speak for other departments, but I'm pretty sure they have a use of force continuum. That's what we call it. So you have a use of force continuum. And it starts out uh, whether, you know, whether it's uh, passive or, or, or aggressive or, or whatever. But the, the actions of the person dictate your, uh, your, the, 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 your use of force, you know. So in the case with George Floyd, there was, I didn't see the beginning of the video. I didn't know if they had, they had to fight him uh, to, to wrestle him down or anything like that. But, you know, obviously that they, they, they didn't have to use any type of weapons you know, to, uh, to subdue them, they got them in handcuffs. But at that point, you got them in handcuffs, use of force is over with. You understand mm -hmm. what I'm saying? There's no use of force necessary because he's subdued. Now, even if he is subdued and you got him in cuffs and he's fighting, kicking and screaming or whatever, he let him, let him fight and kick. That's, the, you know, that's, you put him in the car. That's it. That's your whole point of arresting somebody is to take him into custody custody and put him in that car as quick as you can and now they try to do that i get that you know there's a lot of context in all of these videos that we mm -hmm. did not see before we only have if you're not there you only have what the video shows you right we right. since heard facts and whatnot that have come out about you know these individual cases but we were we were having this conversation with a friend of ours um a little while back who's a corrections officer and mm -hmm. she described to us kind of those de-escalation strategies like you said it, it depends on the person's actions that right. determines the use of force and i related it to corporate world where if the person's actions determines the level of punishment that you right. um you um inflict for lack, lack of a better term and so right. for me I've been the most frustrated thinking that, yes, I don't have all the context of the videos and the scenario of what happened, but I'd like to believe like uh, the Kenosha, Wisconsin incident where the guy walks all the way around to the other side of the SUV. I'd right. like to believe there's so many tactics and strategies that those officers could have used before he even got to the driver's side of that vehicle. You know what I mean? I, I just... Yeah. That's the part that I have trouble with. Yeah. So if, if if they had charges on them, if their intent was to arrest arrest them, I'm talking and I'm talking about the Kenosha incident. If they if that if they had, had intentions on arresting this guy and he was walking away like that, that's that's pretty much uh, resist, right? I get that. Yeah. So uh, at that point, you know, you're resisting and I'm trying to arrest you, but you keep walking away. At that point, I all I gotta do is pull my taser if I wanted to. Or I can just run up to you and bum rush you and, 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 and grab you and throw you to the ground or whatever, you know? Which in so. my mind, when I watch that and I talk to other people who kind of feel the same way, it's like when I, you can count literally the number of steps from one side of an SUV to the other that this man traveled. And I played enough football that I don't need that many steps to tackle you, especially yeah. if you're not looking, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> so let me tell you this, let me, let me bring you, uh, that brings me to this point. So, a lot of a lot of officers um, are afraid of contact. Mm. You, know you understand what I'm saying? Mm. So they had they had the, a, a reasonable amount of time to make contact. I'm talking about physical contact, right? Not just talking about they already they was already in contact with them verbally. So if you're gonna make an arrest, it's time to get physical now. If, if the guy's walking away with you, but a lot of officers and 
I, I hate to say this, but I'm, I'm gonna say it. But a lot of white officers are afraid of physical contact with black people. And I'm gonna give you another uh, incident with uh, with the, the the one that happened in Atlanta at the Wendy's with the with the DUI. He got yeah, whooped. Remember? Huh? He got whooped. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's what that's what I'm getting ready to talk about. So yeah. this guy, you know, he's already he's already intoxicated. You got two officers, right? And he he's not fighting anybody. He's he's not throwing any punch. He's just trying yeah. to get away. Just get away. Right? He's just trying to get away, and all he's doing is just you know. Uh, uh, moving, the, removing the arms of the officers, the hands, and he's he's pushing them off, right? And he gets up and he's running. He runs. Now this officer who who already just came in contact, not he didn't get beat up, but he just felt yeah. he felt the, he felt the the, the 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 strength of this guy uh, being able to the, the fight off fight him fight him off two officers off, and and now he's running away, but he's already intoxicated. You can see he was about out of gas. All you had to do was just run up, tackle him again, and then put your, put hands on again, and then you know wrestle this dude down to you till you get him subdued. But he didn't do that. He was he, I believe he was afraid of contact again. That's the reason why this guy got shot. And that's so, what a lot of officers are afraid of. Man, they're afraid of contact. They're afraid of that of that physical contact. And you so, know. I always said this. I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Bring this one point. I always said this, man. The police departments don't teach cops how to be bad. You know, but 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 individual cops are bad by themselves. Mm. And they don't they don't teach that. They don't teach that in the academy. They don't teach you use, you know, they they teach uh, defensive tactics and stuff like that, man. But they don't teach you uh, how to how to be a bad cop. That's just that's just something within you. Which leads me to my next question which I wrote down, why is it that we don't see more calling out of bad cops? You, you're not going to see it. It's the media. It's the okay. media, man. I mean, you know, the media is going to show you what they want to show you. And, you know, and, and only, only, only stuff like that makes, makes the news, you know, when you, when you have a shooting and, and, you know, and stuff, but I've had instances, man, at, at work where I saw something that I thought was, uh, uh, excessive force, and you know, I I stopped it right then. You know, gotcha. and I stepped within to the brotherhood. Is that common? Is that common within the brotherhood that that one another hold each other accountable, just like a team would? You're supposed to, man. You got to realize, bro. Um, there's a lot of testosterone, man. <laughs> a lot of you know, there's a there's a lot of excitement, a lot of adrenaline flowing in, in a lot of these situations, man. And like I said, a lot of a lot of a lot of people aren't used to physical contact. You know, uh, you know, until they got on the police department, may yeah. have never had a fight in their life. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you get on the police department, and you now gotta you tussle. gotta you gotta fight. Yeah, and the only gotta... thing you know is what they, you know, the the little techniques that they taught you in the academy, which to me, I've never really went by that. Every time nice. I had a fight, had to fight with somebody, I was always. What I, you know, what I knew, I go back to, or, you know, you always revert back to what you. I was know. gonna say, did you revert back to your your yeah, old? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That, that moment, man. I'd like to be there in that moment where you are thinking, all right, I gotta use my training that they taught me. And no, then, I, I was swipe. <laughs> I was never that guy. And grab. Swing, <laughs> I swipe. No, no. Technique, and then you're so, no, you're yo. supposed to 
grab me now. You didn't grab me. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing when they tried to teach you how to break up fights in school. I remember the first yeah. time they told me to break up a fight or put me in a training to break up with a fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, if I'm getting in there, I'm slamming some. Yo, yo, we're going to break this up. Like, Absolutely. That's ridiculous. My Absolutely, instincts man. are going to kick in. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you know, in this, in this conversation and part of why I was really excited, we were really excited to talk to, to you and someone with your experience is the impression that we don't want to give our audience or anybody out there is that the cops are bad and shouldn't no, be viewed as not. bad. No, no we, absolutely not. We've talked about aspects of policing a community, which you have great insight into. We've talked right. about the training and the qualifications to become an officer and should there be a reform, you know, within that piece of it, right? We understand that in every and all walks of life, there are bad people. Right. There are people like you mentioned who just shy away from contact, never been in a fight. You know, the same is true for right. sports, right? Right. A lot right. Of guys who play football who don't want to be touched. And you yeah, can absolutely. find out real quick. On, yeah. on on what they call knock knock day, who who really <laughs> want want some contact and who don't? Yeah, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So I can see the similarities from that, and you know what you've shared so far is definitely some insight to let people know. You know, here's what you might not know about right. what it's like to be an officer and policing the communities that we all live in, including you all. Right. Right. So in the training or within um, the structure of the police department, are there ideas that you have or suggestions in where in which reform makes sense or some different ways to train officers so that they can better police these communities? Yeah, when I, when I, first, uh, when I first got hired, we used to have a uh, class called uh, Humanities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was all about... Uh, how to uh, come in co- contact with, you know, different races and, and cultures. And throughout the course of my career, we got kind of got away from that. And uh, there was also this thing when I, when I first got hired called COP, Community Oriented uh, Policing. Mm. So they, you know, they, I was in the projects, they stuck me in the projects, my, like my first, I was there like probably my first six years in one of the projects in Tampa. And, uh, the, the program that I was that I was on, the um, squad that I was on, it was a community-oriented uh, policing uh, squad. So my whole, my whole thing was, you know, my whole jo- job was to um, work, the, work the projects, get to know the community. And I just, I, I kind of took, took things a little bit further, man, because, you know, I, I took it, I took it, you know, on a personal level, because, you know, once you, once you get into to the projects as, as an officer, they're going to give you a nickname, you know, and you get that, you get to know that community, bro. Uh, and I'm talking about not just arresting people, but you get to know, you get to know the, the grandmothers, you get to know the moms, the dads, whatever, you're going to know the whole family line. And, you know, I just, I, I watched kids grow up and you had, you know, in the project, you're going to have a, a, a dope hole. So Central Park is, is where I worked uh, in Tampa. But they had a, a street called Scott Street, which is a the, the drug hole. And I watched some of these kids grow up. And when I would see them in the drug hole, first thing I would do is go straight to the mom. And I say, hey, I see so-and-so in the drug hole. And 
you know, a lot, a lot of times I get the parents like, well, you know, they call me turtle, turtle, do what you got to do. And I would say, no, let me, let me, let's, let's try to, let's try to combat it first. So I would step to the kid, right? There's, I'm going to tell you this one instance. So there's one kid, I kept telling him, I say, man, stay away, stay, stay from up here on Scott street. And um, so he, he didn't listen. And I had already talked to his grandmother and I saw him out there one day and I just reached into his pocket illegally, right? It's an illegal search. I just reached, I said, come here. And I just reached into his pockets because I knew he probably had dope on him. And I took it right out of his pockets. Mm. And I told him, I said, now you see, if this was done legally, you'd be going to jail. I said, but I'm gonna let you go. Mm. I said, stay off of Scott Street. So the next time we go talk to his grandmother with him, I, you know, we have, I set up a little meeting to talk to him with his, in front of his grandmother. And after that meeting, she said, do what you got to do. If you see him up there again. And the next time I saw him, I ended up having to take him to jail and it was done the right way that time, you know? So, you know, there was a, there's, there's a lot of, lot of things that you can do, man, you know, with, with the community and, and, you know, you don't have to just take people to jail. I gave so many people breaks, man. And, you know, just, you know, I used to have people that have warrants and I knew they were warning. I just tell them, Hey man, take care of that warrant. You know, I give you, I give you a month and you take care of that warrant. And if they didn't, if they didn't take care of that warrant within a month. Then the next time I see them, they went to jail, but I gave you all the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. It's on them. And you know, yeah. we as a people, as a society, we often try to catch people doing something wrong and mm-hmm. you never hear about the stories and the examples like that. Like, and I don't know where you got turtle from, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to tell us about that. <laughs> turtle, <laughs> turtle said, you know, I got 30 days to get right. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. Taking me to you know, you don't, you don't hear those stories. So yeah. go ahead. Uh, turtle, where did turtle come from? Please. All right. So, to come to give you that? so my, my first year in, in that, in that project, I was chasing this kid named Chris, and he had a uh, he had a warrant. And uh, you know, of course, I'm straight out of the Marine Corps, like I told you, man. You know, I'm, I'm I was probably like 170 at the time, but I could I could run. You know, I can man, I would run miles, man. But you know, these guys when they run from the police is a straight up sprint. And uh, I knew where he was running. He was running straight to his house. He was I think he was about 15 or 16 at the time. And uh, he's running to he's running home, and I'm just jogging after him. And uh, one of his friends was was uh, watching, and he was like, "Man, you slow! I'm gonna call you Turtle." And mm-hmm. that name stuck. <laughs> now, needless to say, I ended up catching him. <laughs> but like I said, when you get a name in the projects, it's gonna stick. And that name stuck with me, you know, throughout my whole career, man. Slow and steady wins the race. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I. I, I'm not gonna share with the fellas in the neighborhood turtle, but we'll just you know, keep that between us unless they listen to this episode. Oh I'm man, sorry. don't do it, bro. Because they, I'm they sorry. Get so, <laughs> I can't if they listen to the episode and they catch this. This is not uh, my fault. So I want to uh, put this Chris here. Right there. Especially, especially Chris. Especially Chris. <laughs> All right. Tell us this. How did you how did you come to be a detective and how does a person be become a detective? What is that process? What credentials do you need? So with TPD, um, you have to take a a test. They give the test every two years and uh, you have to once you take that test, you have to be in the top 35 percent in order to to, you know, to uh, be considered for promotion. And um, 
you have to have you have to have like for corporal so you have corporal and detective which is the same position but corporal is like a, a supervisor and detective does investigation so i was pretty much like a corporal detective um because i uh i was you know in narcotics you only have detectives but you have to have a corporal for that squad so i was i was pretty much a corporal and a detective and um you have to have like a, a two-year degree for corporal detective and then you have to have uh, uh i think like 72 credit hours for sergeant and then a bachelor's for lieutenant and above so that's pretty much it but i was in narcotics man i i I started out on a street level narcotics squad and uh, in 2000. And then I was in narcotics the whole time from 2000 all the way to the time I retired this year in 2020. Now, was it always your goal and your mission to become a detective in the narcotics division or did you find passion in it after you got in it? So everything I did in my life, I said I wouldn't do. I said I wouldn't go to the military. And uh, my oldest brother taught me into going to the military. And once I decided to go to the military, I was going to go to the Air Force. And uh, a friend of mine who was supposed to go into the buddy system, he decided not to go at the time. And I was like, I got to leave Tampa. And some guys taught me into going to the Marines. I was like, man, y'all crazy. I ain't going to the Marines. And I ended up going to the Marines. And I said, I never be a police officer. I ended up becoming a police officer. I said, I would never do undercover narcotics. I actually wanted to do homicide or robbery. <laughs> hmm. And uh, I ended up doing narcotics because working in the, uh, in the projects, um, I came across a, a lot of people, you know, selling drugs. And it just, it just became a, it just became a, a, a passion like that. Cause so once you, once you become a police officer, everybody's going to have their little nicks and knacks that, you know, you're going to have something that you really like you know, something that you're good at. And mm-hmm. I became good at narcotics, man. And that was just, you know, just something that, that I, I just picked up, you know, being able to, being able to fit in and, 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 you know, doing drug deals and selling drugs and stuff like that, man. It was just, I was able to just fit in like that. I'm not going to be a millionaire. <laughs> hey, and, and, that's, and that's and I already had that in my head. I already had that in my head. Like, hey, I might as well, I might as well sell drugs legally. I'm yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you might as well. Look, especially for you, uh, Bill. I need you to say you're not gonna win the lottery, and then me and you, let's go buy a ticket and see if we. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Life play out. No, nah, but yeah. it's funny because my, my path has been exactly the same. Everything I said, I, I you know, I would never do. So lo and behold, here it is. So I, I, I can relate to that. Um, here's a question that I have for you. You know, oftentimes in policing the community, everybody's pointing the finger at the police, right? And anytime you point a finger, you got three pointing back at you. What, in your opinion, can the community do better to help the police, police the, the 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 community, police itself. What do you think? Stop the whole no snitching thing. Speak Talk up. Speak up. Speak up. You see something happening in your. This is your community. You see something happening. Speak up. Because if it happens to you, you're gonna speak up. So why not speak up if it happens to somebody else? Brother, I I, I agree wholeheartedly, but I'm going to play devil's advocate. And it, it goes back to a question that I said earlier, that mm-hmm. I asked earlier. It it feels, at least from this side, 
that police have the same culture where they're not right. speaking up on behalf of what's going on. So I, it's hard for me to, although, and I mean, I agree 100%, like, you know what I'm saying? Speaking up when you see wrong, it's right to do right all the time. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's hard to, to take that when we don't see it reciprocated on the other side. And, and it may right. be the media and it may be not what we see. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, but I, I, it's hard for me to swallow that one. What do you think? Well, I mean, for, for those, for those uh, uh, you know, unarmed shootings and stuff like that, um, yeah, they, they should, people should speak up. And, and, you know, like I told you, I, I gave you, I gave you, you know, uh, what I, what I would do in, mm-hmm. in, the, in those mm-hmm. cases. But, um, the, the, you know, like, like the George Floyd, that, that case. And, you know, I, I, I keep going back to him because there was multiple officers involved. Yeah. Um, but you know, they, those, all those officers, man, they, they would, they were in the wrong and they, they should have, if I saw that guy, Standing there, kneeling on on that, on on George Floyd's neck, I would have said, "Hey, man, let's put him in the car." You know, that's what I would have said. Let's put him in the car. And, and you know, if if he refused, man, I would have. I, I probably would have just lifted him up <laughs> by his arm, said, "Get up, let's put him in the car." And you right. know, because eight you know, minutes is a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I still don't know why they stayed there that whole time like that. I, I still don't. But. Um, I, I, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying. You know, it, it has to, it has to be, you know, full circle. It has to, law enforcement have to, have to show that, you know. Is it fair to say that you got two sides who maybe has a desire uh, to be vulnerable, but a lot of times like with people, with individuals, especially in relationships, because that's, that's really what that, what we're talking about at the core relationship between the police department and the community people are afraid to be vulnerable first. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're willing to be vulnerable. Um, if I am getting to know someone that I just met, I'm not usually willing to share all my dirt and private secrets first. I'm going to see what they come for. If they share some with me, I tend to, you know, offer some back. That's just how people kind of manage their vulnerability. And I can see how, this relationship between the police department and the community, there's a little bit of that. We don't, we don't want to just tell you everything that's going on so you can just exploit it and continue to do wrong. Cause that's really what the fear is. I'd be vulnerable first. And instead of you then being vulnerable in return, you just use it to your advantage. You don't give me anything to go off of. Well, you know, the fear is, you know, the fear in the, in the police community is just like, just like with in any community you fear, you fear ridicule, you know, you fear uh, ridicule from other officers. If you speak out against somebody, you know, mm-hmm. you fear you. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. It's just, this is not just, just the community. It's, it's the, it's just a world we live in, man. Mm-hmm. If you speak out against something, you just, people have that fear of being ridiculed. They fear, they have that fear of being looked down upon. And, you know, if, if you, you hear a lot of whispering about somebody, you know, and I'm talking about the police department. If somebody does something bad, you hear whispers, you know, but nobody won't just go to that person and say, hey, man, you know, don't do that. Now, I did. I can tell you because I got a big mouth, you know, 
and 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 I got a lot of them that unfriended me on Facebook because I got I still got a big mouth. But I was like I was that way before I left. But now they they I guess they see that oh he 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 black for real. So <laughs> <laughs> you know we knew he was black, but he he's really black. So you know they they uh, they've unfriended me. You know because I always voice my my opinion, and that's the you know with with police officers, man, they they want to they want to voice their opinions, but they don't, and they, they want you to be on their side. But when they, when they find out that you, that you're not really full, uh, full circle with them, then, you know, they kind of, they kind of get mad at you. And that's which, the reason why. I, yeah, go ahead. Which is natural. Cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm a school teacher. Mm-hmm. And I always say we have the second hardest profession on the planet next to police officers. Um, and I find that there are kids, especially the ones that, you know, are coming from troubled backgrounds and may have been in trouble and get into some mess here and there. They come very defensive. So I can imagine that as a police officer, you guys probably routinely run into people who before you ever say a word, <laughs> like you said earlier, you were Uncle Tom or you, you know, like or like we discussed earlier, we, right. we, we there's that animosity off the top. And I, I, I just wonder, is that something or how do we go about changing that within our community where we don't see police as such as such a negative? So here's the thing with that. So a lot of times when I went to restaurants, um, and you see a, a, a black family, a, you know, a mother and a, and, a, and, a, and a child is acting up, a black kid act up, right? First thing, the first thing they say is, "You want me to go get that police officer? <laughs> I'm gonna get that police officer on you." Ah. So what are you doing right now? What are you yeah. instilling in that kid? You're reinforcing you're still- that the police are gonna take you. You're your bad. Absolutely, yeah. that the, that the police is bad. Now, on a, on the flip side of that. I've had white people come to me and bring their kids sick and say, hey, you see the nice police officer? He's your friend. Oh, shit. You understand what I'm saying? Oh. And though, that's that's what I that's what I that's what I tried to do with my kid. I tried to do the same thing with my kid growing up, try to show him a positive side of law enforcement and not just that negative side where, you know, the police gonna come get you because you acting up. No, the police ain't. We have nothing to do with you acting up. That's a parent. That's a parent discipline problem. You discipline your own kids. Police don't dis- don't discipline kids. But but now you don't instilled in that kid that you know the police are, the police are bad. Or I give you one even better. Um, being being in, in the hood and the kid come up to talk to you because they love the equipment. If you're in uniform, they want to see your equipment like that and stuff like that. And then a parent. Uh, uh, it's always usually a female, but you know, I've seen guys do it too. Don't talk to them crackers. Mm. I'm talking about little five-year-old kids. Mm. So it's you know? reinforced early. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's historically the police never been the black man's best friend, but at the same time, we have to change it. It's, we got to change it somehow. Yeah. And you know, it's got to, it's got to start with us, but it, it has to come, it has to come, Within within the the the, the police uh, department itself, but we have to start somewhere. And why not start with teaching your kid that you can become a police officer, or you know, or the police is not that bad, or you know, just they're not just the enemy. Them. They're not yeah. the enemy. Yeah, yeah, just introduce wow. them because when those kids grow up, man, you already and 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 they uh, and you know, you they get that they get that mentality 
that, you know, the police is bad, then they become a bad person. Then every contact they make with the police is going to be negative. Is out they already going to have it in their mind about, you know, cussing the police out or whatever, you know, and not granted, you know, you do have some officers that just try to throw their weight around because they did police, but I'm just, I'm just speaking of what I've, what I've seen with parents and this could be, don't have to be a, a, a parent from the hood. I've seen just regular, ordinary, like middle-class families. Well, look like to me, maybe a middle-class uh, family. I know it's kind of, kind of prejudice or, you know, <laughs> to say what, what, what do, what, what do a middle-class black person look like? But um, it's just, I've seen people, man, just come bring the, or, or just threaten the kids with the police. And it just, man, I, I used to, I used to, I used to tell people all the time, Hey, don't tell them that. Don't tell them that. You know, wow! I've been we've been doing this for seven months. I don't think my mind's been blown like that before. Right? <laughs> like, uh, like whoa! So when you hear like this uh, defund the police situation movement, whatever, how, what how, what do you think, and how does it make you feel? What do you think about it, and how does it personally, knowing that you've been in that position for twenty five years, how does that how does that make you feel? I think it's virtually impossible. Be honest with you. I think it's impossible to, uh, to uh, defund the police. You need the police, yeah. and and you know I, I think it's just a it's just a term used um, to put you know the I guess when they say defund the police is just um, not put so much funding into um, I don't know if they're talking about equipment or certain yeah. trainings and just try to put more money into the community and stuff like that. But I just think it's just impossible. How do you defund the police anyway? Well, I think it was it was they didn't market it correctly. Yes, I think it was the wrong word. The wrong wording. I think as uh as opposed to using the word defund because that naturally has a negative connotation. Yeah. I think it yeah. should have been reallocate funds. Yes. But like you said earlier, I think you said something earlier that really resonated with me. Um, I don't remember, but like you guys are getting called. Like for instance, the brother that was shot in Philadelphia. They probably needed to send out somebody that dealt with mental illness in, in, in that situation that could have maybe de-escalated that situation, right. or you know, someone like a hostage negotiator. There is a someone who's specifically trained in that. Yeah, so someone who is specifically trained in mental illness or dealing with it. Yeah, like, do you feel like police have too much on their plate based on what they're supposed to do, based on what they do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I do. We do have we do have training um, for mental illness. Um, you know, we have training for uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Alzheimer's. You have you have all types of all types of training. But um, being a being a police officer, man, you're not you're not really equipped with with uh, um, helping somebody out with mental illness, except for putting them in your police car and driving them to a to a facility. You know, yeah, you're not you're not equipped to to be able, unless, unless that's just in you as a person that you know how to talk to people, but you're not really equipped to, to being able to, to de-escalate somebody with mental illness, you know, because yeah. you're, 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 you're just someone of, of authority. So if you're dealing with somebody with mental, mental illness, illness, they still know, you know, majority, majority of the time, they still know that that uniform represents authority. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and a, a lot of person, a lot of people with mental illness, they, they may fight back against authority, you know, 
So now you just don't, you just going to revert back to being a, being a police officer instead of trying to, trying to de-escalate de it because this person had a mental illness, you know? You mentioned a couple of training. I, I didn't realize that you all had training to handle people with mental illness. What are some other things that people might not know that officers get or receive in terms of training, you know, just stuff kind of on the inside, give us a peek behind the curtain that people might not know about. Um, I would say I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of, uh, any other, any other, other programs or, you know, um, uh, programs to help, you know, individuals who have been in trouble, um, are there, um, you know, certain expectations, uh, around, um, how you conduct yourself, you know, what, what's the, what's the peak behind the curtain? What's a, What's a meeting like in the police department? Um, well, with, with narcotics, is is a bit different, you know, um, because all our meetings are, are based on you know our cases, what we you know what we're doing with our cases and stuff like that. And the uh, the the uniform patrol districts, um, their meetings are, are are based on you know the problem areas within the within the community and stuff like that. But uh, um, you know other trainers that I'm trying to think of any other trainers, but I, I really can't it's think okay of one offhand. Off yeah, I really can't think of anything offhand that's that's that'll stand out as different. This this question is more so for me being a kid and curious about, you know, you see the shows about being undercover. How hard is it to be undercover uh and, and assume a, a character, a person, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you knew it. But I am a I do acting on the side. Um, really? So you know I'm, I'm big and I'm big into acting, man. I'm you know I just I just I love it, man. But to me, man, it's just I act normal. It's just being it's it's being normal to me. It's just you kind of it's not even it's not even changing who you are. It's just you act normal. So if if I meet somebody that you know I'm trying to buy dope from, you know, of course I'm gonna use slang and you know or, or whatever, but. It's just being me, man. I'm I'm the same. I'm the same way. I'm I'm kind of goofy, man. We I, I had a lot of dudes, man, that I bought drugs from, and we just crack up laughing because I'm cracking jokes or something like that, man. But it just it's just being you. It just it comes. I guess it came natural for me, man. It's something you can't teach. You can't teach undercover. It, it's just you gotta you you pretty much get thrown out there, and then you just learn on your own, pretty much. So is it is it similar to acting? Yeah, it is. It is, man. You know, and um, you just you got to know how to talk. You got to know how to sell it. And for, for and I, I used to try to tell tell some of the uh, guys on my squad, you know, um, little pointers. And my whole thing was I never made anybody think that I was uh, a user. And you can't you can't do that because a lot of times they they want you to test it, mm-hmm. you know, and. And I would tell people, hey man, I don't, I don't sell it. I mean, I don't use it. I just sell. So I would buy quantities, you mm. know. And in that way, you know, if it ever came to a point where they want me to try, they already know I ain't gonna do it. I ain't gonna try because I don't, I don't do it. I just sell. You and know, you get high off your own supply. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I was, I was, I was pretty successful in doing it, man. If you're doing it for 25 years, I would say you're probably successful. I'd be willing to guess. <laughs> Yeah. Assessment. Um, Shane, anything else you got before we close out? Nah, man, this was dope. Um, yeah. it was I got a really good vibe 
of a real good sense of that you're proud of the profession and that you believe in the profession. And that was, it was very genuine coming through. Absolutely. absolutely. That's, it was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I would, I would say this, man, at the, at the end of it, man, you know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm pro police. I'm, yeah. I'm very pro police, man. And, you know, I just, I, I do think that, that, uh, there's a lot that, that we can do, um, as police officers to, to, to make things better with 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 the community and you know that's that's by listening you got to start we got to start listening to the to the community especially the, the black community because that's the that's the biggest problem that we're having right now right is the with, is the black community against the police department yeah man if they don't start listening to 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 black folks things will get worse it will get worse sad to say but you got to start they got to start listening got to start listening to the community yeah, that's got to be that's got to be the first step in if we're gonna bring about change. Yes. Yep. Look, let's let's bring this show to a close. Uh, I, I found this quote and I wasn't sure how fitting it was going to be, but I think it it is very fitting. Um, I'm not sure who said it, but the quote states this: Sometimes the good you do doesn't do you any good. Sometimes the good you do doesn't do you any good, and hearing this conversation with you about the challenges of being a police officer, police in the community. Um, I would like to believe there's, there's times that you felt that sometimes the good you do doesn't do you any good, but in relating it back to our audience and trying to find purpose, there's going to be times that you feel like in pursuing your purpose, the good you're doing isn't doing you any good. But if you stay the course, if you remember to listen and be patient, you'll see the growth and the changes happen slowly but surely. Remember, Turtle said it himself, slow and steady wins the race. Yes, sir. <laughs> As Absolutely. always, thanks for rocking with us, Purpose Addicts. Go live life on purpose. Be great. We out.